Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Sync. Another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. Moment of silence. There will be no more sounds by Sarah. R.I.P. <laughs> We're letting it go, folks. It's too stressful. It's too stressful for I mean, something so silly. I can't, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so, no longer until we come up with something else. I only lasted a year and a half. It's not oh, very long. Man. <laughs> I'm sure that you'll come up with something else kitschy and like who knows yeah yeah no or way. not or or not she says please it Thank- might just be you know <laughs> normal <laughs> what the fuck is that nothing we know nothing about that <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again here. We have a very special guest, someone we all know very well, Miss Sarah Simone. What? (laughs) Oh, you guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm a longtime listener, big fan. But did you leave a rating? <laughs> did you leave a review? And have I you subscribed? Did. I did. I follow okay. and um, I'm subscribed. I actually haven't left a review yet. I'm really sorry. Let's go do that. I'll do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we are excited because Sarah's going to share her story that I feel as though we've been keeping a secret. I know. We haven't meant to. No. It's just that you can't just like put it in the middle, like the opening banter. Be like, hey, right. guess what I did? <laughs> exactly. Um, so I am sure that for most of us who are, you know, up on pop culture, I guess, because it's become sexy is what they say about things like, you know, the words gaslighting and narcissist. But now the like, new- what is sexy about that? Like, well, Kate, I get it. Katie though. says it. Dr. Katie. She says does. It. She's like, it's the pop. Because psych. it's like some bullshit that it's like now it's cool and OK to talk about. And. Sarah was talking about this way before it was cool, like way back when like it was still scary to the world. But now we're seeing documentaries drop on this left, right and center podcast are popping up. Um, I'm getting like ads everywhere to purchase this. Um, but we're talking about psilocybin, folks. That is mushrooms. They're so magical. They're magic, magic mushrooms. And I'm like giddy over here. I'm so excited. Um, 
I'm excited to do the interview. I'm excited to share this with you. I have to say, I don't even know how many months ago, but I was super, super skeptical. I was a skeptic turned a fan. I know. I can't. I, yeah. I, I hope that happens for all of you because it's, it's all about the education. It, it is something to learn about and research and there's science behind it. And it, it really is less scary than half of the other stuff we put in our bodies. Um, Truth. And the benefits seem to outweigh any possibility of anything you know bad it's just about knowing what you're doing and understanding the whole process and this is not like I'm gonna go do shrooms in college kind of a thing you know in the woods somewhere (laughs) that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about like Johnny down the street's gonna give you a bag of like dirt (laughs) with some shrooms in it I don't know isn't that what they look like Yes, and I think I went to Johnny. You did go to Johnny. <laughs> not not now, in college. I know, in college. Um, that's where all my friends went, to Johnny in college. <laughs> in the tie-dyed t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. And the giant, like, either Jenko jeans. And I was like, guys, I realize I'm a hippie, but I'm also a control freak, and I have quite a bit of issues, <laughs> therefore, and so I cannot do these drugs. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's the only reason I said no. <laughs> But that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about the healing effects of psilocybin, the rewiring of your brain. Imagine the beautiful um, experiences that can come from that. And Sarah is going to tell her story of how that brought her healing. And it is a long story and a journey of sorts. Wait till you hear where she went. (laughs) Wait till you hear. You won't believe it. But it was totally worth it. So go ahead and join us on this trip as we learn all about psilocybin. It's a place where you will learn to fears, trace the years, and ride the wind to the mind. Sarah. Yes. Thank you for being on my show. Oh my gosh, you're so well. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I, like I said, huge fan. Um, I cannot believe I'm sitting across from you right now. I'm really glad I don't have a show by myself. I have butterflies. I was just going to say that because that sounded really weird. I'm fangirling. Oh God. Well, I hope you are because I'm pretty fucking cool. Um, okay, so. This would have been at the beginning, I think, of last school year, like last fall, you started talking about it. I remember talking to political people, I think we were. Yes, I was like, hey, let's talk to our senator. Let's get this legalized. (laughs) So let's go back. How did you first come across psilocybin therapy? Yeah, so I was in a very dark place and was my depression. I have treatment resistant major depressive disorder. So I have tried five different 
antidepressants. I have tried three of those at one time (laughs) and was not getting any results. In fact, I actually felt worse than what I did when I was off of them. So it was kind of having some kind of adverse effects. So they were trying to play with dosage and all of this good stuff, but playing with dosage, and I want to be very, very clear as I'm telling my story, I am a huge advocate for medication. Yes, yes, Um, yes. We're not saying otherwise. No, I'm not saying otherwise. I am saying that every single person's chemistry, brain chemistry, body chemistry is different. And so what works for one may not work for someone else. And that is why psychological medicine, antidepressants, SSRIs, things like that are hard to figure out because of the way that our brains work and metabolize and all of that good stuff. So just like one person may need to take 50 milligrams of a heart medication and their sister needs to take 100 milligrams Mm -hmm. of the same thing, this is the same same kind of process, but it just was not working for me. So- Let's go back. You said dark place. Um, obviously, I know what that was yes. and looked like. But can you describe that for folks? Because we, we, as we are super authentic on here, we do put our best foot forward mm. as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and even during recording, sometimes um, you would have been in that place. But like mm-hmm. this would have been the only thing that week you could have done. Yeah. So what did those really dark days look like? Like if you could describe them. Sure. So I was bedridden. Yeah. Uh, I was not able to get out of bed. If I did get out of bed to do something like record, it was right back into bed after that. This sounds, (laughs) for those who aren't familiar with a deep depression, dramatic. But it's, I can assure you, it is 100% a physical thing as well. I did not have the energy to physically do anything. um, And I did not have the mental capacity to do anything besides keep myself alive I could not cook my own meals I showered (laughs) that is the one thing that I did make sure I did every day that was like the one thing that got me up and out of bed was to shower and I would basically get up to pee and I would get back in bed I ate my meals in bed I did everything from bed if I did anything at all so it was not a good space I was in a place of suicidal ideation so I was thinking that this is not a life to live I am a burden on my family. I am a burden on my kids. I am a burden on my husband, on my friends, on my, you know, everybody. So it would just be better for them and for myself if I just weren't here anymore. So those were the thoughts that I was battling every day because my husband and you would (laughs) assure me daily that that wasn't the case. So it was like trying to take those words in and see them for what they were. But when you're in a spot like that, you just can't. You can't, yeah. And um, there's a specific time of suicidal ideation that I remember, um, and I made you come to the coffee shop. I do remember you that. You were so pissed at me. I was. I was oh, angry. Lordy <laughs> B. I was like, fuck. Uh, but you cannot die. I cannot. I literally can't handle it. I was like, you have to come now. And so, you know, there is, uh, there are ways to manage it but hers was becoming daily. So every single day, like the only thing that we could do is like, I could lay in bed with her and we could talk from there. And that is not some, that is not a way to live. No, it's not. It's just living. It's not, it's just purely surviving therapy. This is with medication. This is not like she's not doing anything. So I'm guessing that's kind of 
where you started your Google search? Well, actually, <laughs> because I was in bed all day, I was watching a lot of Netflix. And the first thing that piqued my interest was there was a documentary called The Last Shaman. And oh my gosh, I remember you telling me about this <laughs> yes. and I was like, this is a terrible plan, Sarah. <laughs> I don't like it one bit. <laughs> so a year ago. It, yes, and I, I have to say, the last I credit The Last Shaman with my being where I am today because it opened my eyes to something different. And so I, I watched this documentary and if you watch it, it's all about a man who was in a very similar situation to myself and he was chronically depressed. One thing about depression that we've learned, if you go to our episode with Dr. Katie, when we talk about depression and anxiety is the longer that you are in a depressive cycle, the harder it is to get out of it and the more likely you are to fall back into one because you've created these loops and neuropathways in your brain that we're going to talk about in a little bit that are so deep and, and deep ruts in your brain that it's very hard to overwrite those. Mm -hmm. And so I watched this episode and this documentary and this man flies to Peru and he spends an entire year in Peru learning about ayahuasca. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going, guys, Amy, Randy, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Who was going to go I'm with going, you? Mike. Yeah. And I was like, they're <laughs> definitely both not coming back. No. Randy, now we have a million kids. So <laughs> let's go. <laughs> like we don't come back I want you to marry each other take care of our children oh god I couldn't remember this like it was yesterday but it was so long ago I know I was so not on board and Mike and I were both like we might not come back I don't know we don't know what to tell you we what we could say the trip will take us is that exactly wink wink. wink wink um so I really dove into research on ayahuasca first and the more I looked into it, the more afraid I became mm -hmm. because the more I looked into it, the, and this, again, I just want to say everything, everybody is different. This may be the journey you choose to take. It is not the journey I chose to take. There were a lot of things that came up. There were deaths that had happened as a result of this. You have to be so careful. There are a lot of ceremonies in the U.S. It's technically not illegal, so you can do it in the United States. It's like whatever the thing is inside of the plant is that's illegal, but they but actually ingesting the plant medicine is not. So people are holding ceremonies all over the U.S., but these are just like white people yes. that have done <laughs> their Google research yeah. and they think that they can hold these ayahuasca ceremonies. These have someone reputable. And these are like centuries old yes. medicines that have come from the jungles of like South America from indigenous people. So, um, yeah, we white people cannot just <laughs> jump right in and be like, yes, we can. Let's do this ceremony. So Man, I was like, yeah, this is not going to be. Thinking they can do all the things. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those. I'm like, I can do this. I'll oh, do it. Boy. But then I, I even looked into traveling to Peru and even doing that. There are communities within those indigenous communities that have commercialized it so much yeah. that the the traditional shamans are like, this is not the way that that the practice mm -hmm. actually goes, the ceremony is supposed to go and this is dangerous and so forth. So there still were even deaths happening. So I was like, yeah, I may have suicidal ideation, but I don't want to die trying to not die. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole nother topic. We'll do that another time. We don't understand. Right. We have suicidal ideations, but yeah, we're so terrified. Like we don't want to die anyways. Yeah. So. <laughs> Moving along. Moving so on. next after yes. 
that discovery and that was like a no thank you. Yes. So I was like, okay, well, what else can I do? And I looked at all of the options. There are legal options in the United States. Ketamine is one of them. It just, when I looked at the side effects and so forth of that and the fact that it can be an addictive drug and I have an addictive personality was not an option that I was willing to consider. So psilocybin was what I landed on. (laughs) And I was like, this is my, this is going to be my miracle medicine. I just knew it. From the time I looked it up, read all about it, I was like, this is it. This is for me. And I think that to go from a spiritual perspective, I think certain medicines call to certain people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have even said that ayahuasca has called to them. Mm-hmm. And so that that's something that happens. And so I feel, spiritually speaking, that that is what happened with this medicine and myself. Psilocybin is found in certain mushroom strains, and it's commonly referred to as magic mushrooms. That's where you hear, like, tripping on mushrooms and shrooms, man. (laughs) From Johnny down the street. From Johnny down the street with his hemp necklace. (laughs) (laughs) Did your Johnny down the street wear large cargo shorts or Jenko jeans? Oh, man, I think it was cargo shorts. The Jenko jeans was more like the high school drug dealers. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Where they could fit like a computer in their pocket. Because <laughs> <laughs> the pockets were so big. Back in the day when they could just like pass the drugs to you in the hall. Like, right. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so with psilocybin, there have been no deaths associated with it. There has been extensive scientific research around it. So for me, that was the most logical path. There was a huge asterisk though. And I was like, well, how the fuck do I get around this? It's illegal in the United States. So it is a Schedule One drug. It is a felony. And again, I don't know that anyone's ever been arrested for mushrooms. I, I don't know. I might I, have to look that up because that's real hard to believe. I know. We'll have to. I didn't do that kind of research, but it is illegal. So yes, it is illegal. I was like, hmm, I am a law abiding citizen. So I'm going to contact my congresswoman. <laughs> so let's contact Congress. Why don't we? And so Amy and I did because that's we're who like, we are. We're like, we follow the rules. <laughs> We're going to make this rule for us. (laughs) So I shit you not. I go on to the congressman's website and request a meeting. And I got it. I got a meeting. Now, I got the meeting with, like, one of his aides. But that's okay. I'll take it. And she did ask for more information, which I have not supplied yet because, you know, I was depressed as hell. Right. (laughs) So lucky you got up for the meeting. Exactly. Um, So we are I'm still working on it, though. I'm working on putting together information and I would love to move forward with some sort of Mm -hmm. legal um, actions to try to decriminalize it at least and deschedule it so that it's not punishable by law to take part in this. Yeah. So the next step was for me to look for medical trials because Guys, there are so many medical trials out there using psilocybin. If you think that, you know, doing mushrooms and shrooms is such a, like, party thing, whatever, these trials are being done at Harvard, Johns Hopkins, Berkeley, University of Maryland, Mm -hmm. so many reputable medical schools and colleges and universities. And so I applied and I didn't hear back from any of them. So I was like, now what? Next. (laughs) Next. So when I couldn't find it there, I was like, all right, where is psilocybin legal? Google, tell me. (laughs) And Canada was where I found. But I couldn't just go to like Toronto that's four hours away. (laughs) No. I had to go 2,200 miles away. psilocybin, she's bougie. (laughs) (laughs) And go to Vancouver, British Columbia, which is on the other side of the country in a different country on the other side of the continent. (laughs) 
So that's where I headed, and I started to make plans to go visit there. So before you went, it wasn't like I just show up and do this. There was a step-by-step process. So what did that look like? Because I think you had to, you know, interview, not interview, but like see if you were a good candidate for such treatment. I reached out to the center and I got a reply back that they were actually full. And so I was like, what is going on? Like, what is happening universe? Like, please help me understand why I can't get into this. And so I was really disappointed and I kind of like gave it up for a minute. Randy actually, not knowing that I had already reached out, decided he was going to as well. And he got a different response from a different therapist at that that center and said, we do have a you know spot open. What's the contact information and whatever. And so I started a relationship with the person who would be who would lead my session. Her name was Kayla and shout out to Randall. I know he was like, he was so, um, he was so worried. He was really worried. Very worried. We were were very worried. Yeah. It was very scary. Yeah. So he was going to do whatever it took. Um, I'm actually really, really have to say, I'm really proud of myself in the way that I pushed so hard for myself, even though I couldn't see that I was doing that until I made the trek to Canada. Mm-hmm. And leading up to that, I didn't see the effort I was putting in to even save myself. But I'm really looking back, very proud of myself for pushing. Yeah, definitely. So I had to interview with her and I had to have three separate Zoom calls with her and they were only supposed to be an hour, but we clicked so well. And so we just talked and then we went over the time every single time. So I spent hours with this woman before I yeah. actually met her in person. And, you know, she even said, she's like, I feel this very deep connection to you and I just want to help you heal. And so we'd started this bond and this relationship and it was, it was a very special one. So I was really, really excited. And so this was months leading up, um, waiting for this to actually happen till I could travel there and and make it happen. You know, a lot of things had to fall into place Mm -hmm. for that to um, go through. And I was talking to my mom a lot about it and It was actually one of the last things she said to me um, on the phone the day before she died Mm -hmm. was, I'm really proud of you for trying to better yourself and trying to heal yourself and make yourself healthy and advocating and advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that just like that meant so much to me because, like I said, it was one of the last things she said to me. The last thing she said was, I love you. But that was one of the last things she said to me. But in the meantime, I did a shitload of research. My mind was fucking blown (laughs) in what I found out. Yeah. And I am hearing this, uh, listeners, for the first time as well. (laughs) Um, It has only been since Sarah's return that I had my own realizations via TikTok and and different documentaries and things that I've listened to that um, I was completely wrong about this medicine and then seeing her results as well so I'm very interested to hear the research behind it yeah I just want to say too like one of the things that made me smile so big and that made me know that I had made a big change in being there was what you said to me on the phone when I talked to you for the first time after I had the session you were like is it weird that I can you sound like a completely different person just even in your voice And I was like, it's not weird because I feel like a completely different person. (laughs) And 
And I'll say right back, is it weird that I don't remember <laughs> old Sarah? No, I'm glad. I'm so glad. Like, I was surprised maybe the first couple times I talked to you, but I honestly, I don't remember her because she really feels gone. Oh my God. Like that, I... I'm so glad to hear you say that because I need, yeah. I would love, I love the, you know, we still need validation. I, yeah, need the, absolutely. I need to hear that validation that somebody else can see it, feel it. Yeah. It's like a tangible thing. It's not just me and this feeling that I have. Yeah. So it's, it's good to hear, but like, and let me just interject real quick. This doesn't mean sunshine and roses. There's Hell still no. shit and bad things that happen. And there is still like trials every day and there's still financial bullshit and there's still things that we get st- you know, stuck up on with the podcast and our lives and our careers, all of these things. That is not our children are still a pain. <laughs> Jesus. None of that, you know, parenting is still really fucking hard. None of that has changed. What has changed is bigger than that. What has changed is the reactivity, mm-hmm. the thought process around those things. The and spiraling. The spiraling. Yeah. I can stop those things. Yeah. I can still feel the depression. Yes. But it's different. It's. <laughs> yeah. It's I know that what this is really hard to explain to people, but, you know, we're doing the best we can. It's just when you see someone completely become a different person, it's beyond everyday circumstances. It's beyond a mental illness. It's beyond all of it. Mm hmm. So like the best way that I can describe depression when you're going through everyday life is that things are dampened, dull, Mm -hmm. colors aren't even like the same. Mm -hmm. Like you just see things from a different lens. Things were like fuzzy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even. I was dissociating a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, so I didn't feel like I was in my body Mm -hmm. a lot of times. But now it's sort of flipped where that's how I, how my depression feels. Like, it feels far away. Yeah. It feels dampened. It feels fuzzy. And I feel alive. Yeah. And that it's there still. And if I allow it... Mm-hmm. It can come back. It could come back. But my outlook and the things that I've learned and seen and, and was able to do in this session has allowed me to... React completely re- differently. Yes, exactly. The yeah. reactivity is a huge, like, huge, huge, huge portion of it. It is so wild. And so that's what freaked me out because I kept hearing this, the, the things that I'm saying right now, I was hearing from people who had done it and I was like, yeah, okay, but how? She was like, can I tell him what you asked? <laughs> sure. Her? She was saying, but I, I don't think you're going to like me on the other side. <laughs> I was afraid. I was but genuinely he, and, afraid. And I think that what you thought was going to come out was this like super peppy positive. Yes. Like person who like everything is great I was like am I gonna be toxic positivity Barbie because that person I don't know Sarah (laughs) no thank you no you still have all of your not quirkies but like everything that's like very specific about your personality is still there like there's we didn't like make you into Pleasantville (laughs) it just lifted everything off your shoulders it took the darkness away from it yeah. So I was like, I got to know how. I have to know how. This is like so new for me, too. Me I have science. to say, in the last like 
but I guess I've always been this way, but I was so impulsive before and now I'm not as impulsive. Now I'm like, I have to know all the things before. I'm thankful for that portion of myself that's happened in the past few years. I think that just comes with age, I guess. But I was like, I got to know what's where this is coming from. And so I just dove in. So like in high school, I thought psychedelics were like created in a lab and that drug dealers like made it in their houses. Yeah. And like gave people little pieces of paper to put on their tongues. Same. And like that was what psychedelics were. And that's why I wasn't into it because I was like, I don't want somebody's chemicals, chemicals. from their kitchen. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, no, thank you. And then somebody was like, did you know that when you trip, you see blood going down the walls and that's because you're bleeding in your brain and you can see but not true, guys. Not true. <laughs> like Remember the story about the guy who um, believed he was a glass of orange juice for the rest of his life? Yes, and was afraid people were going to tip him over. I feel like that's a myth. I don't even know it if that's is a myth. true. Because if I heard it and you heard it and we didn't even live in the same no, state. <laughs> but that's what people told us in high school. So I was like, yes. I don't want to be a glass of orange juice. <laughs> a uh, soldier in the war on drugs <laughs> i mean whoever started that rumor they must wow. have they were genius they were genius kept me from doing it <laughs> exactly same <laughs> so what i found out is that psilocybin medicine has actually been passed down for thousands of years in several different cultures as part of ceremonial medicine so not just like one culture it's not like it just grows somewhere these are mushrooms Mushrooms, I've learned too from, I've been listening to a lot of like mycologists mm -hmm. and learning about mm -hmm. just fungus in itself. Yes. yes. They can grow anywhere. Yeah. They can grow in the desert. They can grow in the Antarctic. They can grow any, in any climate. So these are everywhere. So they've been a part of several different cultures, which I thought was completely fascinating. So in the 50s, there was this banker. His name was R. Gordon Wasson. He was a banker for J.P. Morgan, but he was also an amateur mycologist. And he and his wife. How do you become an amateur mycologist? Okay, like, mushrooms. I know. Listen, this is how they did. I love this story. So I'm going to link this story. There is a, an article written in Life magazine in 1957 by this man. And it's the coolest article. He writes about his journey to Mexico to do mushrooms, but he writes about how he became interested in it. And I feel like this is a story that we need today with everything that's going on in, in our society, it's inspiring tale to be yeah, like, yes, yeah. I want to know more about what you like. So he and his wife, his wife is originally from Russia. He's from Montana. So they met each other um, and got married. And shortly after they got married, they were hiking. And so she sees this like little spot of mushrooms that have grown and she gets mm -hmm. so excited and she's like oh, look at these beautiful mushrooms and she's gathering them up in her skirt and she takes them back to their house and he's like that's disgusting and so, <laughs> that's what she, I would have said so she like washes them up and she cooks them and prepares them and he's like I'm not eating that and so she eats this these mushrooms and he's like they're filthy they're dirty I don't want anything to do with that well and he's like I was convinced after being married only a short time that I was gonna wake up a widower that she had just eaten like like poison like he's like I didn't know what was gonna happen well they weren't magic mushrooms they were just you know your yeah. regular uh, mushrooms and because we're also told about poisonous exactly mushrooms in the woods yes so um I've learned that there are fewer poisonous mushrooms than there are poisonous plants that oh, it's actually wow. less likely to be poisoned by a mushroom than it is by a plant so he then decides well this is my wife and she's like mm. loves this and so they were going hiking. She just loved finding them. He's like, well, if she loves these mushrooms, I want to know why 
she loves them so much. Mm-hmm. And so he began to research them and to learn more about them. And he was asking her, like, why? Like, why do you feel this way? And so they, like, connected in this way with this thing that she loved so much and he was, like, totally uninterested in. Way to go, husband. Yeah. And I was like, what a cute love story. It was, like, 1927 when this happened. Yeah. (laughs) And so they start researching and he becomes this amateur mycologist and this ridiculously rich banker. So they have the time and the funds to do these extra things. So they find that there are these magical mushrooms and that there are cultures that are still practicing with them. So he's like so into it. He's like, I need to find more out about this. So he goes to Mexico and he goes and like secretively is like talking to this guy at like a library. And he's like, can you tell me about magic mushrooms (laughs) he says the guy's face like lights up he's like of course come with me and they go out like behind the the hut where they are and they're just growing there and he's like here gather these up so they gather them up together and he's like i want you to go talk to this shaman her name is maria sabina and maria sabina was one of the last shamans in mexico who was performing these ceremonies still so he went he took these and he said can you, can, will you administer this? Will you give me the ceremony? And she said, yes. So that's how it happened. So he does a ceremony in Mexico, has this like mind blowing experience. I'm like I said, going to link the article. You can read all about it. The way he describes it, it's beautiful. I'm really impressed with his like account of it. And yeah. you know, with it being the late fifties, I'm like shocked that they were talking about things like this. He said how it was so lovely that they were regarding these with such respect and love. And he's like, unlike the white man with a bottle of alcohol, that's like treating it like it's bitch basically. (laughs) Like he said, it was just such a different vibe. Mm -hmm. So great article. You should definitely read it, but he comes back. It's published in life magazine. um, And he's like, "I, I gotta, I gotta know more about this. We've got to figure out how to get this more, mainstream so he sends it off to dr hoffman albert hoffman in switzerland and you might recognize that name if you know anything about psychedelics but if you don't you may have heard the story of how lsd came about and that was dr albert hoffman who accidentally you when you do lsd apparently you want to take like 0.25 milligrams on his fingers right yeah and so he got it on his fingers and he was like whoa so he's like oh i'm gonna take some of this so he ingests instead of 0.25 micrograms he ingests 250 milligrams of lsd yeah and has the worst trip of anybody's life ever because holy shit that's an insane amount of LSD, yeah. but also proves that you cannot die from it. You cannot overdose yes. on LSD. Yes. You can have a terrible trip, and you but will you not cannot become a glass of orange juice. Correct. So he sends this off to Albert Hoffman, who then breaks it down, finds out the whole particles of it and synthesizes it. So they take those synthesized pills back to Maria Sabina and say, like, is this right? She takes them, has the experiences that are all the same and says, yes, like you've got it. So they're off. <laughs> they're like, wow, let's do the studies on this. And so then studies are then, like I said, they're done at Harvard. They're done. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Timothy Leary. He was the one that came up with the whole 60s vibe. It was turn on, tune in and drop out. Do you remember hearing that ever? No. Oh, my gosh. And they would like drive around on these like tie dyed buses. Oh, and, wait, like... I saw this on the LSD uh, <laughs> documentary. Yes. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So there is like a huge Yes. thing break out of psychedelics and they would have like tents at um grateful dead shows yeah that were trip, they had tents. trip tents yes at, um at woodstock yes exactly there were trip tents mm-hmm. so it became this like wildly popular thing and it was like 
Mexico became the hippie Mecca and like people would go down there to do these ceremonies and that's when the war on drugs began in 1970 and Nixon was like mm, time out no this is not this is not okay so you know things kind of come to a halt but there have been over 27,000 scientific articles published on psychedelic medicines and over a thousand of those specifically are on psilocybin and currently it's the most studied psychedelic art out there so I've also linked, you can find if you want to know all about that, I've linked the article for the government website that shows you all of those government approved research studies that are out there, if you don't believe me. Because <laughs> you incredible. need to, ha I, it's like I needed to have that like reassurance, like, yes, there's research, right? Like we know, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. And if there's people out there listening right now that are like full of shit, um, that's just dangerous, whatever, like just know that I was there as well a year ago and I was there pretty much the whole year so either you change your mind or you don't doesn't really matter but it's always good to learn new things absolutely so are you ready for the part that like blew my mind of course <laughs> okay so in one of these studies they did a neurological study so they watched the brain while someone was on psilocybin mm -hmm. and they saw the default mode network of the brain disintegrate while on the drug. So the default mode network, you might ask. <laughs> I was like, I, uh, you, I forget She's sometimes the you guys tilt. can't see me. Like, I'm hmm? head tilting like, hmm, what's that? <laughs> so this is the part of our brain that in short, I'm just gonna give a real short overview, helps us function in the world. It's responsible for the stories we tell ourselves. So it's like that running inner dialogue oh, that we shit. have. That it, gets turned off? Yes, it runs on social cues. Yes, please. So it's, everything that how we're perceiving social cues not uh -huh. actual social cues but like somebody the looks at you we tell yeah yep. mm -hmm. somebody looks at you and you think in your brain oh she's pissed at me yep that goes away <laughs> how we see ourselves so our ego so like all of the shitty shit you say about yourself mm -hmm. that goes away and it runs what you think about your past and future so your anxiety wow and depression so if you're going past your depression, mm -hmm. future, your anxiety, that's the part of the brain that disintegrates when you're on psychedelic medicine, specifically psilocybin. So that is why that part of our brains is linked to depression, PTSD, chronic pain, ADHD, OCD, <laughs> and so many other mental illnesses. Oh, wow. So that's the link between all those things that plague us. But if psilocybin is breaking that down and resetting it, it's building new neural pathways in that part of our brain that create a more healthy configuration of those neural pathways. And that's why it's so incredible across such a wide range of mental illnesses. That's my favorite, favorite part. Same. Like, I was favorite, like, what? Favorite part. Yes. The idea that I could take my broken pathways that I've had for, you know, since I was 18 and somehow rearrange them so that I could be lifted from this, I don't know, this depression that I've just learned to live with and anxiety. I mean, it's just a, that's it's incredible. It's like a damn miracle. It is. It is a, and I think that's why they hold these things so sacred and so dear. It's yeah. like, this is a healing, a truly healing medicine. It's like a second chance. Yes. It allows your brain to let go of the harmful thought processes that we get stuck in. Mm -hmm. 
So when we have those neural pathways, we create them in those negative cycles. So we create a neural pathway that says, I am not worthy of love. And that is a pathway that is linked from one side of the default mode network to the other. So you've created this link, this line. Mm -hmm. So just imagine this line that's being drawn. So you've told yourself that. So now you tell yourself that again. So that line gets deeper and cuts a little bit deeper in your brain. And again, and again, and again. And so that's why doctors say, once you've been in a depressive cycle for so long, it's harder to get out and it's more likely to fall back in because those pathways become deeper and deeper and deeper. So what this does is wipes the slate clean. Now, I don't forget all those things I used to think about myself. Mm -hmm. I remember what I used to think about myself. I just don't think that about myself anymore. I don't have those feelings anymore. So I found a graphic that I'm going to put on our Instagram page as well so you can see what I mean. And it's the brain. With the brain, That's a really great picture and a great graphic. I think that'll help everyone understand. And it's just a drawing, and it's someone took the brain view that they could see on the CAT scan MRI and drew it (laughs) with different colors of markers so that you could see the actual pathways, what they look like not on the drug, and then what they look like with the drug on and how there's just new ones being created Mm -hmm. at a rapid uh, speed and cycle. This was another thing that just, wow, I just was so astounded by. So it quiets the chatter part of our brain. So that's like that monkey mind that we talk about, you know, how we talk about mindfulness quiets that as well. So this does that too. Um, And that's the part of the brain that's usually not able to connect with one another, but it allows us to have cognitive insights that create... so. This is where it just is like, whoa, science and spirituality Mm -hmm. just linking together. It takes these cognitive insights that create an emotional breakthrough that cause you to have immense gratitude and compassion on an actual cellular level. Oh, I love that. Wow. Oh, my God. You're healing your cells. Yes. The brain is an incredible thing, an incredible thing. And this drug allows us to lift the veil for a brief amount of time to be able to do that. Isn't it so shitty? This is a little bit of a side thing here. (laughs) Side bitch. Side bitch. um, That the thing we're allowed to do, drink alcohol. um, Yeah. Does nothing good for your brain. It's a depressant. (laughs) Um, But yet that's like what's encouraged and legal. Shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't like that. Don't like that either. You want to know why, though? Because I do. alcohol is created by mm-hmm. people, and people can then own that and I say, mean, I own com- this. It all comes down to money. Exactly. I can charge it for yeah. it. I can regulate it. I can decide what happens with it. Unless you're probably going to get sick from it, then I can probably <laughs> charge you pharmaceuticals for it. Exactly. But with this, this is like a mushroom that grows in the woods. Yeah. How does somebody regulate that? Yeah. How does somebody say, like, I own that? You, you can't The same way, I guess, they kind of regulated marijuana. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so we've got this thing that's going to actually, like, heal, heal my cells and change the wiring of my brain. So this is, though, where we have to be careful with it. <laughs> If we're using it in the wrong set and setting, we can create neural pathways that we don't want. Or we can have a trip that's bad. So this is how when you're like, but wait a minute. My friend did mushrooms in high school and had this terrible trip and said he's never doing it again. Yeah. 
that's wrong set and setting. So explain this set and setting because it's so, so crucial to this whole experience. Yes. So to do that, I'm going to kind of go through the five stages that happen when you take mushrooms. The first one is sub-perceptual, and this would be like microdosing. So this is, you have no visuals and no change in your headspace. You'll have like a boosted mood and like alleviated mood. And you say brighter colors. Yes, a little bit brighter colors, but there's no... When I say visuals, I mean hallucinog- like hallucinations. Sounds like a nice place to start. Yes, it does. The next stage is active effects. So this is a change in your sensory input. So that means like s- sights, <laughs> sounds, <laughs> feels. I will get into that because holy shit, feels. <laughs> wow. Um, colors are more bi- vibrant. There's a slight movement of objects. Um, that definitely happened for me. Specifically, I opened my eyes at one point and looked at Kayla, and one of her eyes kind of went whoop on, onto her forehead. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna close my eyes again." Whoa. <laughs> um, euphoria and possibly anxiety. I definitely had that. <laughs> the next stage is intense visuals, and that comes with distorted time. Um, I will just throw in there <laughs> my personal experience with distorted time. I literally felt like, and I'm not using literally like people are like, I was literally dying. I'm like, <laughs> no, literally, I legitimately felt like I lived a thousand lives in that seven hours. Whoa. Like lifetimes <laughs> happened. So time just like doesn't exist. Next, it breaks down barriers and conditioning, which is phenomenal if you're conditioned in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You view your thoughts from a third-person point of view, and you have greater degrees of self-inquiry. So viewing your thoughts from a third-person point of view, I was talking to Amy about this earlier. It's like your mind is split into two sections. You have this mystical side that's experiencing the hallucinations. It's experiencing the visuals, all of the sensations. You're like, whoa. (laughs) And then you have the logical side of your brain is still there, and it's going, what the fuck is that (laughs) it's like observing all of this nonsense that's happening and so your logical side is like what does that mean yeah (laughs) what's going on over there and so you're trying to kind of put the pieces together but it's great that you have those because I remember my trip I remember my whole trip um because of that logical side of my brain was trying to process through it It was like why is why am I thinking about this what is coming up here for me why is this coming up what does this mean and that's very important in the healing aspect because you have to know what it means you have to know why you're thinking these things why you're going through these steps to be able to heal it Mm -hmm. the next uh, step is that the lines between self and other begin to break down so you begin to dissolve into the vi- environment around you. And it happens. I laid down. <laughs> she had this furry Did you pillow. in the chair? I became the pillow for Ooh. sure. She had this furry pillow and I laid down and I ran my fingers through the fur. And it was purple. And I remember I became a part of this purple field of fur. <laughs> it was like a Dr. Seuss world Whoa. is the best way I can explain it. You know, the Lorax where the trees yeah. have the poofs and things like that, but everything was different shades of purple. And it was like this beautiful, furry, fuzzy comfort. I was like, oh, this is gorgeous, <laughs> you yeah. know? But it was like, I became part of that and it was, it was incredible. 
So it all does, it starts to dissolve the environment around you. You become a part of it. This can be peaceful or terrifying. And this is where set and setting are very important. So set is your mindset going in. Okay. That's your intentions. So when you set these intentions, you want to think about it like, when you set an intention for anything that you're doing, you want to think about it like, okay, I've got this arrow. I'm creating tension. I'm pulling the arrow mm-hmm. back. When I let go of this arrow, it's going to shoot pointed in whatever direction I've pointed it in. Okay. So I want to make sure I'm pointing it in the right fucking direction. Right. Otherwise, it's going to appear something not we don't want it right. to. <laughs> so creating that intention beforehand is extremely important. And then the setting that you're in. So you don't want to... Be like, okay, I want to do this to heal, and I'm going to set this intention to figure out why I'm in this perpetual cycle of depression. That was my intention. And then I'm going to go to the club. And then I'm going to go to the club. Exactly. (laughs) And I think that's where the bad trips come in, is that you don't think about your set and setting, and you could be using the exact same medicine, but it doesn't work to do it as a... A so-called like you can't like just exchange it for alcohol exactly so it's a different thing can you party with it sure you can but what I would suggest is that you do it in a controlled setting you want to have a controlled setting because if you're going somewhere where you can't control what's happening around you so you want to party with your friends at home and have music on that you want to listen to that's going to create a good mood for yourself you want to have people that make you feel good about yourself with you instead of you don't know what asshole at the club is going to try to feel you up or you know like follow you to the bathroom or they've got some music on that's like irritating your senses and things like that are happening and I think that's why people have bad trips more power to you if that's what you want to do like I'm not saying I'm not judging anybody I'm not down for that but I'm just saying for me personally that's just not something I'm interested in doing um but if you can have a good setting around you calming and and those sorts of things what you want to keep in mind is that this creates an extremely vulnerable state of mind. Yeah. So the people that are around you are people you need to trust. You don't want to be told things that are going to rewire in your brain and stick with you forever that's if you don't trust scary. the person around you. So that's Whoa. where, this is where there's like the, the pros and cons. Of course, there's cons to everything. Yeah. But the way you did it was so controlled and yes. so thought out yes and I trusted the person and it was just me and her Mm -hmm. so that was a huge (laughs) huge game changer too the other part that happens where the lines between self and other break down this stage is that time is meaningless so at this point like before time was sort of like you know distorted Mm -hmm. now it's meaningless it means nothing there's no there's no time you have no idea how much time has passed you don't know how much time is forward it's this like flat circle like you don't that's it you know, I don't want to sound out there, but it's because time isn't real. I agree with you. Um, After this, I agree with yeah. you. When you would say things like that before I did this, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believed, I was like, I bet that there's, I wonder if, I bet there's other yeah. dimensions. I wonder if we can travel, you know. After this, I'm like, oh no, time is meaningless. That's right. You did used to look at me funny. I would be like, Okay. I was like, you know, Marvel, that's actually how life is. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't watch those movies. I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, we have parallel universes and we're in all of them. <laughs> I 
genuinely believe that now you guys can be like and moving on to another podcast at this point I mean, it's you fine can if you want it's or fine. not or just skip this episode but that's just <laughs> I mean I think that that's just how I from the research I've done I haven't done any you know interesting medicine but um there, I'm a researcher just like Sarah this is where it's led me definitely the last part of that uh, stage of the the cycle is that visuals are all consuming. So whether your eyes are open or closed, you're having visuals. <laughs> that might They're be there. too much for me. You would think, okay, so I want to say this before I go into the final stage, because okay. the final stage is what fucking freaked me out. And that's why where I was like, uh-uh, I don't want to do it. Okay. Is that <laughs> before you experience it, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. While you're experiencing it, it can bring a little bit. I was like, ooh, I don't know if I like this so much. But then that logical side of my brain was like, mm, I don't really care if you like it or not because this is helping you oh, and it's changing wow. you and we're doing it and you're in it now. And this is this is where we are. That's so fucking cool. Yes. So that's what happened. And then the final stage happened. And that's when the ego is gone you are completely broken down that, but there's no panicking about it because your ego has gone. So you don't care. You don't care about, it's hard to explain this because if I say this, you're going to be like, well, what's the fucking point? Isn't this the complete opposite of what you're trying to say to do? You don't care about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you care about the fact that we're all connected. Mm-hmm. We care. You care about the fact that you are one with the earth and with animals and with, ancestors and people who haven't been born yet and I sound like a wacko but this is what happens when when you do this um and it's a complete stage of enlightenment and I don't know that me personally if I could ever get there without the help of a psychedelic drug again Mm -hmm. but that was the part when I read that that's what can happen I was like I don't want that to happen because but but that is my ego talking yeah my ego holding on to my ego to Mm -hmm. say I don't want to let go of that that's my identity that's me I need my identity yeah but when you get to that stage you realize you don't (laughs) you don't need that identity wow yeah it's 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 a lot (laughs) so that was the fifth and final stage it is yes okay so now that we've all heard that if you're still with us Thank you. We're happy you're here. Um, I just, I want to say that, yes, you can reach these things through meditation. You can reach them through silent retreats. And, you know, I know that like monks have done it without any sort of medicine. This is just one thing. We never say there's a magic pill. That's, that's our big motto. You know, no, nothing is the magic pill. This is just one tool that I had never really heard of as a tool for mental health until Sarah explained it to me. She's went and experienced it and now I see the results. And I think it's an interesting enough and important enough topic to share with you. So try to still keep your open mind, even if some of the stuff that we are saying seems out there. I appreciate like that. You backing me up in that way. <laughs> Absolutely. I just feel like as we were going, I was like, I bet we're losing people. And I, and I, and I can get that because I might've <laughs> tuned you out sometimes too. 
Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, even saying it. I don't even know how to explain how I used to feel. I was so like, it was fear too. I was so scared. I was so scared for you. I was like, oh my God, she's not, this is going to be terrible. She's going to get arrested and die all at once. (laughs) So, you know, let's evolve together. And, um, at least by knowledge. Yeah. I want to hear I want to hear it though. I want to hear and I've heard this already. Probably not in the detail I'm going to hear it today, but I love this story of her trip and I want to hear all about it. So, if you're still with us, buckle up. So, join us for part 2 where I will tell you all about my trip. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's good. It's good to hear her specific experiences and to know someone who's been through it. I just wanted to leave you with this last the clip from How to Change Your Mind. And it's Dr. Bill Richards. And he's just talking about the way that science and spirituality coincide and how important it is to be able to look at these types of things as medicine and to integrate them into our Western medicine world. Personally, I do not see science and spirituality as in conflict at all. The spiritual dimension may be beyond the current limits of science. We're really talking about what religions call revelation. And uh, as we study that scientifically, I like to say it's where science is meeting the sacred. I want to see Medicare coverage for it. I want it to be fully legal. I want it to be available at a reasonable cost for all those people who don't have tie-dye t-shirts and can't spell psychedelic and are never going to grow their own mushrooms in their closets, okay? I want it integrated into medical care, if not in retreat centers for any human being who would like to have this experience in a safe and legal way. Thanks for hanging on with us and check out that Netflix documentary. I think that will help a lot of people become a little bit more clear and we will link it in our show notes so that you can find it easily. It's based off of the book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. What does that confused look for? (laughs) (laughs) How to Change Your Mind, I Googled it. People also ask... Am I tripping? How, how do I change my penguin's mind? What? <laughs> Who has their own penguin? <laughs> or are those people tripping? It's their black and white cat. <laughs> what is happening? What is happening uh, right now? Please keep listening to us. We love you. <laughs> Seriously, everybody go Google how to change your mind. You'll see it. I'm not making it up. All right. Have a great week. Talk to you guys soon. This episode was brought to you by Amy Baumgartner and Sarah Simone. The theme song and our other music is provided by Epidemic Sound. This episode was mixed, mastered, and produced by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash unqualified therapists inc. If you have a mental health journey you'd like to share, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com or you can reach out on our website, www.unqualifiedtherapists.com. Until next time, warrior, hold on. We're gonna make it. Hi,
Say it now, say it proud, shout it out, make it where we go.